ABC Listen. Hello, my friends. It's Ruby here, and this is News Time. Hey, Ruby. Hi, Ruby. On today's show, we're going to learn about one of the biggest animals to have ever existed. We're also going to meet an Indigenous teenager who's been organising swimming lessons. And while we're underwater, we'll hang out with some deep-sea diving seal scientists and then come up for air to learn about Australia's first ever blind women's cricket team. After that, the story you all wait so patiently for... Wow. You know it. Come on, let's jump straight in. Let's do this. Story number five. In a South American country called Peru, the fossils of an ancient whale have been unearthed. The creature is called Parasitus colossus, and it lived about 40 million years ago. It kind of looks like a worm that's, like, bigger and it has, like, a beak. Tiny legs. It looks like a big fat worm where it mixes a platypus and a tardigrade. It does look a bit strange. More like a manatee or a seal than a whale, really. But it was absolutely enormous. Scientists reckon this colossal parasitus was 20 metres long. That's almost as long as a tennis court. And they think it weighed up to 340 tonnes, which is about as heavy as two whole houses. Whoa! They're not exactly sure just yet, but scientists think this could have made it the heaviest animal in all history. We are talking heavier than dinosaurs or mammoths or blue whales. It changes everything. Because it was so big, scientists think Parasitus would have moved really slowly. Some of the bones of this big Peruvian whale were dug up by paleontologists in a coastal desert in the south of Peru. I think they felt like, well, this is amazing. Like, it will probably benefit mankind in some way. They were so excited about their discovery. They found 13 vertebrae, which are part of the backbone, as well as four ribs and a hip bone. One big mystery still remains, though. They haven't found any teeth. That means they're not sure what this giant of the seas ate or survived on. Any ideas? Lots and lots of fish. How could it get so big otherwise? I reckon it ate like that krill stuff, that tiny stuff that whales eat. Hmm, maybe. Seems like there's still more work to be done for scientists to confirm their findings and learn more about this ancient giant. Story number four. Do you ever go for swimming lessons? I do squat every Fridays, diving and tumble turns and freestyle and backstroke and butterfly. I go to swimming on Thursday and we do freestyle do backstroke. I think it's important for people to learn to swim because if people didn't know how to swim then it could put them in really dangerous positions. Yes, it is important to know how to swim, especially here in Australia where lots of us spend time splashing around in the water. One day, Quilligen girl Piper Stewart was at swimming lessons at her local pool in the New South Wales town of Griffith 
when she noticed there weren't many other Indigenous kids at the pool. Piper's mum told her that swimming lessons are expensive and some Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids couldn't afford them. So Piper decided to do something about it. She created a charity called Bambiji. That's a Wiradjuri word that means to swim. Through this charity, Piper raises money to help pay for swimming lessons for Indigenous kids. She put her time in for other people, and that's a good thing for a person to do. She's spending her time on it, which she could be using to play video games. Since she started the charity five years ago, Bambiji has raised $40,000 and helped more than 300 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids go to swimming lessons. Some Bambiji swimmers have gone on to compete in big competitions. Most importantly, more Indigenous kids have the skills to splash about safely in the water. Great job, Piper. Story number three. The water around Antarctica is not somewhere you'd want to go swimming. It's icy cold and hard to explore. The water there is covered by large sheets of ice that expand and shrink with the seasons. These big ice sheets have made it difficult for humans to map the water underneath them because until recently, it couldn't really be done until the ice was broken up by large boats. So scientists have enlisted the help of some local seals. For the last 20 years, scientists have been attaching little satellite tags to seals' heads. It means that when the seals dive underwater to go hunting or explore, these tags keep track of where they swim and then send the information back to the scientists waiting above the surface. Like fish, they're just so slippery, but like seals are a bit like furry, sort of, and you can strap them onto them. Mm-hmm. The seals were the perfect choice for this project. The scientists kept track of more than 500,000 seal dives, and that helped them paint a vivid picture of the places the seals were exploring. The scientists found out that the seals were diving more than a kilometre deeper than where we thought the ocean floor was. Oh, that must have taken a lot of patience and a lot of time. The world's bigger than we thought it was. Sure is. Using the information from the seal dives, scientists can now keep track of how the shape of the ice underwater changes over time. This information is important for understanding the effects of climate change and our changing planet. Seals and scientists working together to map underwater worlds. I give this experiment my seal of approval. Story number two. Right now, Australia is celebrating the achievement of our first ever women's blind cricket team. Cricket is a sport where one team bowls a ball at a wicket and the other team hits it away with a bat. In blind cricket, a couple of changes are made to the rules so that people who have a vision impairment can play. They should put a little thing on the ball that makes a sound. Maybe that sound could be like, do you know those darts with holes in them that make whistling noises when you throw them? They could put those on them or bells. Hey, pretty close. In blind cricket, the ball has little things called ball bearings in it, 
they sound a bit like this. The ball makes a noise as it travels towards the batter, which makes it easier for people with low vision to keep track of where it is, so they can give it a good whack. Blind cricket teams are made up of athletes with different levels of vision impairment. Some players have low vision, others are completely blind, so they have to communicate well with each other and develop a lot of trust as a team. Until recently, if a female person who was blind or vision impaired wanted to play cricket at a high level, they would have had to play on a men's team. But now, Australia finally has a blind cricket team for women. I think it's awesome because it means that blind women can play sport and just they feel equal to everyone else. The Aussie Women's Blind Cricket Team recently competed at the International Blind Sports Federation Games and they came second. It was a great result for their first ever competition and they say this is just the beginning. The players hope their success will inspire more people to give the sport a go. I think they'll do really well because they know that there are loads of people out there who know that this will be a really good thing for Australia. I just want to tell them to try their best and don't give up. And it's that time again. Wow of the week. This story made me go wow because I thought that dead flies were just completely useless. Okay, here is a not-so-fun fact for you. Every piece of plastic ever made still exists on Earth today, occasionally reused or repurposed into something else, but mostly sitting at a rubbish dump or as litter in the natural environment. I think that's a bad thing because there's been a lot and lot of plastic that's been used. Uh Uh-huh. The plastic we use today takes hundreds, if not thousands, of years to break down in the environment. But scientists are constantly working on ways to make plastic that's biodegradable. Biodegradable is when something can break down in the earth. It doesn't just stay there forever and make chaos. Exactly. Biodegradable plastic means we could make it and use it and then it would break down into nutrients for the soil so that new things could grow. And the latest things scientists are experimenting with to make biodegradable plastic is dead flies. I think it's disgusting. Yeah, extremely disgusting. I think it's cool. (laughs) Flies have something in them called chitin. It's a type of sugar found in the shells and exoskeletons of some insects and crustaceans. Recently, scientists have been turning chitin, taken from dead flies, into something called hydrogel, which is a plasticky substance that helps capture moisture in soil. That's very, very cool. Scientists reckon it could be a way to make more sustainable plastics in the future. And with that, we've buzzed our way to the end of the countdown. Thank you, Ruby. You are very welcome. And don't forget to do the news time quiz. The questions are in the show notes. Before we go, you might have been hearing your grown-ups talking about how they'll soon be voting in a referendum on the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to Parliament. Well, 
I had a chat with the ABC's lead journalist on the referendum to find out what it's all about. You can take a listen just below today's episode in your podcast feed. See you next time, Ruby. Bye. See you later. Or, as they say in Ukrainian, do pobachenya. Newstime is an ABC Kids Listen podcast. For other awesome podcasts to play, music to move to, and stories and soundtracks for sleep, download the ABC Kids Listen app. It's free from your app store.